I pray. Amen. When I, we generally work on our sermon series in June and July of the year before. So last year in June and July, we sat down with Nathan and we began to think about what were some of the things that we wanted to talk about in, in 2019. And at Coleraine, I kicked off the series with this particular message. And here I'm closing that series. But we knew that we needed to address mental health and chronic illness. Because oftentimes what happens in a person's life, whenever we're in a place that feels stuck, we start to wonder, where's God? Well, what's God doing in our lives? Didn't he promise us life abundantly? Didn't he, didn't he promise that he would be with us and that things would change? But sometimes in the midst of that thinking that we have, God is saying, no, no, I promise to be with you, meaning through the things that you have going on, I'm going to be there. Last spring, I, I sat down with our, uh, with our uh, high school principal at Coleraine, and I said, what are the top three things that you're dealing with in school? And one of the top three was mental illness. Maybe you know that to be true here in the Ross schools or in the Hamilton schools or where you are in school. The challenge of our kids, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, dealing with real mental health issues, not just that you know, what is it, what's this teenage angst kind of stuff? Because it's just weird becoming a teenager. Some of us, it's been too long since we were teenagers, and we don't remember that very well. And so we have this tendency where we just say, grow up. And, uh, and then they look back at us and say, well, if you'd grow up, I might grow up. You got that conversation going on in your house at all? Yeah, that's exactly what happens. But we knew we had to address these issues. If that's true in our schools, how much more true is it in our communities? The mental health is right there at the top. Mental illness is the challenge oftentimes that we face. And so we looked at that and we said, hey, we've got to pay attention to this. People are asking questions about mental health and mental illness and chronic illness and the Bible. And so let's jump in. Because you see, oftentimes people will approach the church first with, hey, there's a little something off kilter before they call a doctor or they call a police or they're counselor, any of those kinds of things. And so that's our responsibility. I mean, after all, Jesus exemplified that. Scripture says that he went from village to village, preaching, teaching, and healing. All three of those things were a part of his ministry. So if we're Jesus' church, that ought to be happening in our lives as well. That we're preaching and we're teaching and we're seeing healing take place. And that's what we pray for. Our elders gather twice a month. One of, the, one of the Tuesday nights a month, they are gathered just to be praying over you and praying over the church. Every week, we ask you to fill out your connection card and put in your prayer concerns. And, and, and those are not just simply things about changes, but what, where are the places where you need healing? Where are the places where you need God to be working in your life? Where are the places where you're struggling? And we as a staff pray over those prayer requests every, every week. And our elders do that as well. And so that's serious. When we talk about Jesus went preaching, teaching, and healing, we believe the church ought to be doing that too. Because the church exists here to help others and to be a light in the darkness. And that's why we entitled this series Light in Darkness. The aim is holistic healing, the need for counseling, for medication when necessary, and the presence and the guidance of Jesus Christ. All three of those things work together. We even have seen that throughout history, how God does that. In fact, in the first chapter, the early part of Genesis, we see that God brings light from darkness. Did you notice that when you're reading through the creation account? It starts dark and then light comes in. 
Well, that's true in our lives too. In the darkest places, we need light because light's a symbol of hope. Light's a symbol of new life all the way through the scripture. The Gospel of John says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And so when we're in the midst of these struggles, sometimes we have this fear that that God really doesn't overcome. The foundation of our faith, though, is that God has victory over darkness and the ultimate triumph of his light because darkness can be so terrifying, can be so scary for those who are experiencing mental illness. But love comes out of that darkness, and this love gradually draws us back into the light that Jesus has for our lives. For persons experiencing mental illness, we can be instruments of God's love by extending care and compassion and hope for those who are in the grip of darkness and despair. And so our big idea is this on the screen. God sees you and is with you. God sees you and is with you. That when you are experiencing mental illness, when you're experiencing chronic illness, when it seems like there's nothing changing, God sees you and he says, I'm with you. I will walk with you through this time and I will care for you. Our personal aim in life, according to scripture, is this, that, that we will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your... Okay, Bible college, where are you? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's not just simply my heart. You see, sometimes that's what people say, you know, let Jesus into your heart. That's really what's important is your heart. But it says with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's how we love God. So what do we mean when we say mental illness? We need to start with a quick definition of that. It comes from the mental, uh, mental illness. Excuse me, the National Institutes of Health say this. It's on the screen. You may want to take a picture of it. It says very simply, mental illness is the behavioral syndrome, collection of signs and symptoms that results from a response to some objective cause or causes, external or internal, which may be physical or psychological, and these signs and symptoms produce clinically significant impairment in everyday functioning. That is saying to us that there are things that that have happened to us or in us that brings about the fact that we don't interact with life in a, quote, normal way. Several years ago, I I sat together with the Cincinnati police. I went through their Citizens Police Academy. And and you know the thing that they said to me there, where the principal said it was in the top three, they said the number one thing that we tend to deal with in policing today are mental health issues, mental illness issues. Not necessarily crime, Mental illness issues. And so this, this is real, folks. This is real. How do we step into it? According to NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in four adults experience mental illness in a given year. So you can look around this room and say, is it you? Okay, that wasn't funny. I apologize. But out of every four adults in here, one of you will struggle with a mental health issue this year. That doesn't sound very hopeful, right? I mean, the, the idea of anxiety disorders, attention deficit disorder, social phobia. And so, in fact, statistics tell us that 18.5% of adults live with anxiety disorder. That's 42 million American adults. Not meant to be flippant, but many of my mental health professional friends will say to me that anxiety is the common cold of mental health. 
that most of us have in some aspects of our lives some anxiety, whether it is just, tomorrow's Monday, don't know I got all the project done, to I don't even want to get out of bed. It is so scary. And that, that's very common today. We talked about anxiety in our series. One in 25 adults experience a serious mental illness whether that's schizophrenia or bipolar, major depressive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, bulimia, anorexia. One in a hundred live with schizophrenia. 2.4 million American adults. 2.6% of Americans have bipolar disorder. That's 6.1 million American adults. 6.9% suffer from severe depression. 16 million American adults. And 90% of those who die by suicide have an underlying mental illness. And we address suicide too. If you didn't get a chance to listen to any of those messages, you can listen to them at thewocc.com. On there as well, we have, uh, we've developed some assessments that came from our friends at Counseling Alliance. And you have some of those. You have one today on depression in your program. We did one on suicide and one on anxiety as well. And these are so helpful in conversations sometimes that you may have with a friend or a family member that's just experiencing some things feeling a little bit off in their lives. I'll talk about how to use this here in just a little bit. But mental illness can end up destroying an individual as well as a family. And what we have is a hope problem. People believing that because of their mental illness, there's no way out. I picked up at the Haiti, uh, at our Haiti display out there, espoir. Espoir is the Creole word for hope. Hope is an issue all around our world. And when you're dealing with a mental illness, oftentimes hope is the fact that, you know, there's just nothing that can be done about this. And so even when we talk about the other things that could be helpful in mental illness, if I don't have hope, I don't have a way out. And, and we represent the one with hope. That's Jesus. I'll jump into that some more in a few minutes. Only 41% of adults with a mental health condition have received help. 60% of us don't go seeking help. That is tragic. Less than 50% of children 8 to 15 have received mental health services. And here's why that's significant. Because what we've seen over a period of years is that 50% of all chronic mental illness begins by the age of 14. And 75% of that mental illness starts by the age of 24. So the response time is significantly important. The mindset that they'll grow out of it can be dangerous. You know, I find it interesting that statistics tell us that people come to Jesus around the world between the ages of 4 and 14 And that is also the most dangerous time for mental illness symptoms. I'm not sure what that says, but it tells us that there are two very important conversations that need to take place with our kids. One is their relationship with Jesus. Two is paying attention to are they healthy in how they're dealing with their surroundings. And that's on us parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, friends, to have those kinds of conversations Because mental illness is a problem, and the church ought to be a part of the solution. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? I think the first thing that we do as individuals is that we have to end the stigma of mental illness. We have to end the stigma of mental illness. I mean, there there are plenty of reasons why people 
suffer and it takes wisdom to identify the right course of action and how to overcome mental health barriers. Sometimes the battle's fought in the mind and the person needs to go to counseling for a season to navigate the past, talk through the hurts. Other times the situation's physical and a person might need to change their diet or or their exercise routine or their sleep patterns or get medication. Other times the situation is spiritual. A person has exchanged the truth of the gospel for the lie of the world that's told them. But, But when it comes to physical illness, it's interesting that no one is embarrassed to seek help for a broken wrist. There there should be no shame in mental illness. Some of you know that in July of 2011, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. It was amazing to me to watch how people came in around me and said, how can we help? What are the ways that we can encourage? What's your treatment plan? How is this going to be overcome? What's your long-term solution? What's going to be happening there? But I think if I had come and said, hey, you know, the doc says that I have bipolar disorder... I don't think our response is the same. And yet both are very real because there's a stigma around mental health issues. I think that's one of the reasons why people hesitate to get help when they're struggling emotionally and mentally. The reason for mental illness is both biological and environmental. Mental mental illness is not the result of personal sin or weak faith. See, too often we will tell a person, man, if you just pray some more, you'll get over this. Often today, too, treatment is enhanced because we live in an amazing time with DNA testing. There is work on the medication that can be helpful. My wife is a registered nurse, and she started most of her early practice was, was in the mental health field. And 40 years or so ago, we would give medication to individuals just to see what worked, and it was a long time trying to figure that out. With DNA testing today, that time is shortened. And, and, and I began to see some responses from medication as a result of that special testing. But mental health illness is real, and it's not remedied by telling somebody to pray harder, to just trust God more, or to get your act together. I mean, some of my spiritual counselors, my, my pastoral counselors will say, you know, that's like trying to find a spiritual bypass. You just hope you can put a stint in. You hope you can do something very quickly. And you just simply say, hey, just trust God more. I mean, after all, you don't tell a broken, man with a broken leg to get up and run. You don't tell a guy who has, and a gal who has uh, rotator cuff problems to just move your arm more. It'll be better, right? <laughs> some of you have got those kinds of challenges in our lives. You know, you haven't struggled with your knees, just do some more knee, knee bends. Yeah, that helps a lot. And that's what we try to do sometimes with mental illness. We say, you know, if you just pray more, if you just would trust God more, if you would just fill in the blank, whatever that might be. For my cancer, it took external beam radiation. It took seed implantation. It took, after, after I had two pulmonary embolisms, it took blood thinners for the rest of my life. It takes vitamins. It takes these kinds of things to keep me healthy along with a steak, hamburger, and fries once in a while. There's that too, you know. I mean, let's be, let's be honest. But the deal is, I could take those medications. I can talk to you about them. And everybody goes, yeah, that's got it. I'm glad you're doing okay, Rick. But if I start talking about anxiety disorder, if I started talking about some other things, you'd go, I'm not sure I want to go to the church with the crazy pastor. I mean, that, that's what comes in. That's why there's a stigma here. 
And so we see Jesus deal directly with things. We see ourselves that we need to deal directly with this. And it's true that some instances, mental illness in the Bible may be attributed to demon possession. I'm not here to discount demon possession. It does happen. But to highlight that most things are not demon possession. See, we like to give Satan way too much credit for things that happen in our lives. Unless it's clear or God reveals it, mental illness is that, mental illness. It's not demon possession. Sometimes it is evil. You know, what I've watched in some of the mass shootings recently, sometimes there's a mental health issue there, and sometimes it's just raw evil. But we have to be very careful in mixing the two. Just just give you that as a warning as we go forward. So here's, here's our reminder again. God sees you, and he's with you. I, I want to talk for a minute about the place that most mental illnesses is shown, and that's in the issue of depression. We see a lot of people with depression today. That's true in our pastoral counseling work. That's true in the work that uh, Counseling Alliance does. That's true in a number of places. And I just want to give you some keys there that can be helpful that give us some biblical understanding as well. You see, the struggle with hopelessness is the first rung on the ladder of depression. There's just no way out. There won't be any changes. Nothing will happen differently. But for many of us, we found a way out. I mean, whether it's physical illness or mental illness, we realize there is hope. And that hope is Jesus. That hope is Jesus. I may still be walking down that path, but Jesus brings hope into my life. And I recognize in my own personal battle with prostate cancer that how many people spoke words of hope into my life. Now, I'm cancer-free now. Praise God for that. And praise God for the medicine as well. But sometimes I have a number of friends who continue to walk with prostate cancer because they're not healed. How, how do they have hope for the future? They have hope for the future because of Jesus in their lives. That, that's where hope comes from. It's not from medicine. It's not from my great doctors. It's not from those who come around me, but it's simply the words of hope that come from Jesus. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 4 and 5 says this, and I think it's a passage that that we all need to know. Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Notice there it says, God brings me comfort. He may bring you comfort so that you can comfort someone else. What? In any and all affliction. See, I can bring hope. I can bring the message of hope to others. Too many times we shy back away from it so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. There is this aspect that God is challenging us as the church to be aggressive in carrying the message of hope to others. And that's my second point, is very simply this. Be the church by meeting people in their suffering. Be the church by meeting people in their suffering. When they're struggling, we should be the ones who come alongside we should not wait for the healthcare professionals. We should not wait for the government. Any of those kinds of things. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Does that not sound like mental illness? Does that not sound like chronic illness? That's what's going on. That's true for God. And if it's true for him, is it true for us as a church? Do we walk alongside people who are brokenhearted and who seem to be crushed in their spirit? Or do we find ourselves close to the suffering? 
That's what the church did. That's what the first century church... In fact, the first century church often reached more deeply into the cultures that were suffering than it did to those who were high and mighty. Because those who were suffering needed hope, and Jesus brings hope. Too many times for those of us who are wealthy and, and well-to-do and whatever, we, we say we can take care of the hope part, even though we need Jesus just as much. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens. And so when I said a minute ago, one in four adults in a year will deal with some mental health issues, we look around here and say, where's the place where I can be the church and bear someone else's burden? We better be a church that walks with people rather than walks away and above the fray. The second rung, besides hopelessness, the second rung is helplessness. Because you see, when you're in the midst of chronic illness or you're in the midst of, of a mental illness, there's this sense that there's just nothing I can do. I am powerless. I am stuck. And while that may be true for that season, there is one who is powerful. And and there's also the truth for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that when we become a Christian, a little while we'll have a couple people who are being baptized today. Scripture tells us that when we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and He is the power of God in us. And we have power to stand against the things that seek to defeat us. And so it's either the power that God has given to me or the power that he's given to you that we can speak into each other's lives. During World War I, there was a condition called shell shock. Maybe you've read about that. It was, it was a situation that attacked millions of the guys who were serving in that time, and it, it caused them to become crippled with afflictions like blindness and deafness and even paralysis, and there was no physical cause. Doctors at the time, though, observed that certain companies were more prone to shell shock than others, and it tended to come back to the leadership and to the morale of the unit. You see, I see see the, the parallel for us as the church that while there will be mental health issues in the church, because we are well led and because we have the morale that we'll come around each other, people are helped. And that's what happened in World War I, that, that those units that had good leaders and those units that had good morale encouraged people through their shell-shocked moments. In fact, there were three things that happened in those units. First of all, the, the rest took place reasonably close to the front line. They wanted to be close to their buddies. They wanted to be with people who would help them and encourage them. And they found over and over again that being close to the front line reassured them that they would be able to resume combat. They didn't need to go to hospital. They didn't need to be removed from society. Didn't need to be removed from their unit. They just stepped back. And for some mental illness, that is exactly just step back and be with people who will encourage you. Second thing they found out was the sympathetic acknowledgement of the strain. You see, when when a person's struggling with a mental illness, do we look for that opportunity where we can figuratively put a name, an arm around them and say, "I understand. I understand you're under great strain." I understand there's some real challenges in your life. Notice how I said that? I don't understand the strain that you're under. I don't understand the challenges because they're not mine. Boy, be careful whenever you're talking with somebody and trying to encourage them along because when you say, I understand what you're going through, you don't, right? I mean, none of us, even if, even if you have lost your mom to death like I lost my mom to death, I don't understand your grief, but I understand you're going through grief and I can stand beside you. That's the... 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I can comfort you with the comfort that I received. 
Do you hear that? That's what we do. We stand beside. We understand they're going through something. I may not understand what you're going through, but I understand you're going through it. Third thing it said this was reassurance that they did not have a permanent illness but would recover. In many cases, we will recover from a mental illness. We will recover from a chronic illness. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but many times it will. And so where's the place where we help a person maintain a sense of purpose, that there's peer understanding, that there are people who will walk alongside them, and that, that there's hope, that this is not the end of my story. This is not where I am stuck. Those who struggle with mental illness often feel hopeless. They often feel helpless, that they can't do anything about it. The reality is none of us can light our own way. We need help. People in pain and suffering will often ask, where's God in all of this? And the answer should come from a group of people who've experienced the unconditional love of God, who remind you of your purpose, and who never give up on you. That's the church. You may walk away. You may seek to hide. But the church does not give up on you. There are people over the 10 years nearly that we've been out here that have walked away for a while. And when they've come back, I've watched people welcome them with open arms because we do not give up on people. After all, the church represents the one who's already communicated this through the way that he lived and died. John eight twelve have it on the screen as well. It says very simply, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And and we have that light of life even in the midst of the darkness that is around us. And we have that message, church, and we need to speak it. Jesus intentionally sought out people who struggled, just as the church must do today. Because of Jesus' love and compassion, healing was possible. The church today is called to embrace those who struggle with a mental illness and be an instrument of healing and wholeness. That's what we do. After all, If all I perceive is darkness, then I am convinced that darkness is all that exists and it consumes me. And the church is meant to be the light of hope in the midst of darkness. There really is a way out. And I allude to the third thing, and that's this. You and I can have a role in the healing of a person. That can be true physically and mentally. We have a role in this. I mean, one of the greatest needs that people struggling with mental illness is to have is just people who will speak the truth. The best gift that you can give to a person is to periodically check in. Now, sometimes that means reminding them of their health plans, of their medications, of their appointments. That's okay. Because sometimes I will forget. Sometimes I'll be in a rut. Sometimes my depression doesn't let me step forward. Notice what Galatians 6, 2 and 5 says. We looked at 6, 2 already, but notice what 6, 5 says. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ, for each one should carry his own load. Now this speaks to you as a friend and as a helper, that unconditional love helps people carry a burden that they can't carry themselves. It's a weight that they cannot lift alone. But Paul also tells us that we're not to carry another person's load, something that they're responsible for and that they can lift themselves. Here's what I mean. It's interesting to look at the Greek words in this text and the Greek word for burden and load give me insight into what this passage means. The Greek word for burden is excessive burden. It's burdens that are so 
heavy that they weigh me down and I, and I can't pick them up. They're like the boulder that you see, you know, when you're on vacation and it looks like you could just push that dude over and it's so heavy. You cannot do this. And, and those boulders can crush us. We shouldn't be expected to carry a boulder by ourselves. It'll break our backs. We need help with boulders during those times of crisis and tragedy and illness in our lives. But in contrast, the word that's used here for load means cargo. It means the burden of daily toil. It means my everyday responsibilities. It's more like the idea of a knapsack, that I have something in my backpack. It's possible to carry. And I'm expected to carry my own backpack. I'm, in, I'm expected, God says, you have the strength to do that. We're, we're expected to deal with our own feelings and our attitudes and our behaviors, as well as the responsibilities God's given to each one of us, even though it takes effort. You know, it may be going to my appointments. It may be taking my medication. It may be seeing a doctor. I'm responsible for that. I can't, you know, as a person here, I can't be your doctor. I can't make you go to a doctor. I can't diagnose you as a doctor, that's their job, not mine. And it's your job to go. Problems arrive when people act as if their boulders are daily loads and refuse help, or as if their daily loads are boulders and they, they can't carry them, and so they tend to either bring about perpetual pain or irresponsibility. Lest we stay in pain or ir- become irresponsible, it's very important to determine which of these it is. And Scripture tells us to do that. Where my boundary of responsibility is and where someone else's begins. The Bible tells us clearly where those parameters are in this text. In addition to showing us that we're responsible for, boundaries also help us define what is not our property and what we're not responsible for. You see, sometimes when a person doesn't seek the help that that they're responsible to go look for, I start to bear that myself. And I start to get really anxious for them and I start to carry that myself. Instead, that's their responsibility. We're not responsible for that. But we are responsible for the challenge. We don't have other control. Listening is what we're responsible for. Listening, really listening, tells this person how important they are. Because you see, the third rung in depression is worthlessness. We've had hopelessness, we've had helplessness, but the third rung is worthlessness. I'm not worthy. I, I, don't, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy of being around anybody. God must not love me. And those kinds of thoughts begin to happen and we begin to spiral down even deeper. Proverbs 18.24 says this, though. It says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, people don't like to be reminded that they're ill, and you may not either, but there are times when we do need to be remembered. And maybe it would help to ask the question of a person, how well are you doing? You know, the American greeting is, how are you doing? And we say, fine. But when I ask the question, when I really want to listen, I say, how well are you doing? That gives you a chance to tell me, you know, struggle. You know, really good. Because I need to listen as you speak. Maybe it would help if you just said, hey, I'm bringing dinner over tonight. I made some extra casserole and I'll bring it by as five or six better. Not just, hey, if you need any help, give me a call. Because how many of us, when somebody says, if you need help, 
give me a call, actually make the phone call. Most of us don't. There may be a few of you in here who are bold, but most of us never make that phone call. I was having that conversation with somebody this week, and they said, you know, the funeral of my dad. People said, hey, if you need anything, just give me a call, I'll be there. And they've never called me. I said, didn't you hear what they said? First of all, they said, if you need help, call me. They didn't say, I will call you. But none of us make the phone call. And so many of us are sitting back going, well, they must be okay. Haven't called me. Let me encourage you that you're in that person's business. It'll feel weird, but you're simply saying, hey, you know, no life has been a little hectic and a little bit of a struggle. I got extra. I'm just going to bring it by. And that gives an opportunity for a person to know, you know, they really think that I'm special. Thank you for thinking of me. That speaks volumes to a person who's struggling with chronic illness or with a mental illness. Can I just encourage you there? The Bible tells us clearly how to reach out to others as we go along. Yeah, there'll be times when you'll impose your will, but you're not telling people what to do. Isn't it amazing that, that we can reach into people's lives in such a simple way? I, you know, there are times when I'm talking to folks, I may have to remind them of their plans. I may have to remind them, hey, you said you were going to do this in being healthy. How's that working? Are you following up on your doctor's appointments? Why is that? Because, again, when we talked about mental illness, we said that that was something that would keep me from doing the normal things with my day. Many of you here are going, hey, I never miss a doctor's appointment, never miss a dentist's appointment, never miss a counseling appointment, never miss all that stuff. You are in the minority. Can I tell you that right now? I mean, it is not unusual for people to make appointments with me today and not show up this week. It happens. It just happens. So people reminding people, this is the plan you put together. Are you working it? Because if you're not working it, that may be part of what adds to your struggle. And the Bible says that we're to love one another. How do we love one another? By being in each other's lives and encouraging. Let me challenge you with that. Because remember again, God says very simply, He's Jesus and he's with us. Psalm 139 says this. I praise you that I'm, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. That says to every one of you here, you are a special person. You are worth being here. God loves you. He made you special. You're the only one of your kind. And, and that makes you worthy in God's eyes. You see, oftentimes that's the conversation around suicide is the person says, I'm not worthy of being here. I'm causing more trouble than I'm worth. I take him to Psalm 139 and say, hey, here's what the scripture says. You are worthy of what God wants to be doing in your life. God sees you and is with you. Let me jump to the end. It's very simply this. Hope is the fuel that drives the engine of mental health recovery. So how is that you're speaking to people words of hope? Can I encourage you to do that? Because hope is more than a feeling. Hope is more than just finding stability through counseling and medication. Hope is a person. The fullness of hope cannot be found outside of Jesus. And may we represent him well. You're going to see a demonstration here a little bit later of a person who's putting their lives in the hands of Jesus because hope is Jesus. Connecting to Jesus. Listening to the words that say, I am the Son of God. I can take care of your sin problem. I can take care of your worth problem. I can take care of your hopelessness problem. I can take care of your helplessness problem. Put your faith in me. 
be baptized into Christ. Here's what I want you to remember. Three things. This is how I end. Number one, it's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay that way. It's okay to not be okay, but you can't stay that way. It's okay that you came here today, you're far from God, Jesus has not forgiven you of your sins, but it's not okay to stay that way because Jesus said, I will heal you. I will give you new life. You're not less of a person for asking for help. Second thing I say very simply, you're not less of a person for struggling with mental illness. We never look at a person with a broken leg and say they're less of a person because of their injury. We live in a broken world. Sometimes that brokenness is felt where nobody can see it. You're not less of a person, and you're certainly not less of a Christian for struggling with mental illness. And the third thing I want you to be aware of is you. You can be the body of Christ by helping another. Remember, the response time matters. Mental illness can continue to worsen without intervention, especially if one's environment doesn't change. And to say, So saying, are you okay, really, is an important question to ask of people who are struggling. I'm praying that you'll hear these words today and that God will encourage you as well. Would you pray with me? Father, it's in this moment that we're reminded that you love us and that you care for us. Father, I pray that you would use today to encourage us to help others or to seek the help that you you have for us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.